Man, what great singing, everybody. That was great. That was so good. If you have your Bible, open up with me to John chapter 6. We'll jump right in. I have a small pulpit today. Actually, this is what I really like. This is good. This is, this is nice. Fifth of seven miracles in the book of John. And there are seven signs. John calls them signs. There are miracles. Phenomenal uh, works of God to show that he is God. This is an important one. The fifth sign, walking on water. When evening came, John 16, verse 21, uh, verses, uh, verses 16 through 21, John chapter 6. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind rose and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at once the boat was at the shore where they were headed. God, thank you for your word. Speak clearly through this servant to us today. Thank you for your spirit that explains and moves and touches in ways that we cannot. And we pray powerfully for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a hands-on lesson from the apostles. And uh, I don't know what you know about hands-on lessons. They are good and they are bad. The disciples had learned and watched Jesus perform miracles. They'd seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him heal a man that for four generations had been paralyzed. They had seen him feed 5,000 men, probably 12,000 people with five little loaves of bread and two fishes. They were what I would call lessons that they could sit back and admire. But this was a lesson they would learn in the storm that they could only learn by being there. I learned uh, lessons in the storm uh, about 35 years ago. I was a young second lieutenant in the Army, and I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and we were there to talk to be young artillery officers. And when I went there, I barely knew which end the bullet went out. I didn't know anything about it. And so for three or four weeks, we learned all of the things in the classroom. We would learn all of these things. We thought we knew a lot, but we didn't know very much. But I had never seen a howitzer. I didn't know what one looked like. So one day they said, we're going to go to the field for two days. You need to pack up. It was in the winter time, And you're going to learn more than we've learned in a month so far. I thought, boy, two days. Learn more than a month. So we drove out through the prairie of Oklahoma. And we got to this firing battery that they had, that was, had eight howitzers out there laid out in the field. And there were three sergeants with each gun, and they counted all of us up. And so we were going to be the crewmen on these howitzers. And again, I didn't know barely by that time which end the bullet went out. But we went there, and those sergeants taught us in two days. It was amazing. And we learned lessons there that I have never forgotten. You know what I learned? I learned that the non-commissioned officers of the Army were so competent. And that was a lesson that I never forgot. As far and long as I went along in the service, I never forgot how important those those men were. Because they knew their jobs and they knew everything about that equipment and they could see they had eyes in the back of their head. If you were doing something wrong, they could they'd stop it. They knew it. 
I learned how important it was to be accurate and careful that lives depended on it. I learned how important it was to follow instructions exactly. And when we came back from the field after two days, we were a whole different class. Because then you said, oh, i got to really learn this stuff because we're going to use it. And everything that we learned in that practical lesson was so important. Church, what you learn here and what you learn in the pulpit and what you learn in Bible study and Sunday school is important stuff. But what you learn in life as a Christian is far more important. You know, you can read about salvation all your life, but until you have recognized where God brought you from, you can't really grasp out salvation. You know, until you really know what you were like, and you understand your nature, you, you can't get it. And, and you know, you can study forgiveness in the Bible and we can teach sermons and lessons, but until you've forgiven somebody who's really wronged you, until you have been forgiven when you've really wronged someone, until you realize how much God has forgiven you, you, you don't really know about forgiveness. Um, you can talk about service in the kingdom and we can talk about missionaries and we can talk about Going places, but until you go somewhere, until you see God working in other places, until you see what a church planner does, and where they go and they plant a church, you, you know, when I first went to Vermont, I could not imagine a church planted where there was no church. I mean, not only was there no church, but there really weren't any believers. It was amazing. And it was amazing to watch that little church grow. And then to hear today that one of those little churches is not little, it's big. Because the gospel is powerful. It's wonderful to see that. You can't learn that in a book. Unfortunately, you can't learn about the crises of life until you're in one. And, and you can't learn about how powerful God is. Until you are there with him in a storm. There's lessons today that we can only learn in the storm. The disciples would be different men after this storm. They, they're like us though. You know, when they, when they finished the storm, they, they were impressed, but then they would go on and do some of the same. That's the way we are. We kind of, we have storms and we grow and, and then we fall back and we go forward and God's all the time learning and teaching. But I want you to learn something today. That God is working in every situation. He works all the time. He He never leaves you. He never forsakes you, as he says, as Jesus said in this great book of John. But he is always with you and he is always working in every circumstance and situation. If we look at this text, it's in all four of the Gospels. It was an important account. It seems kind of insignificant. When you read it, you say, okay. Right. But when you think about it and when you get inside of it a little bit, then you realize what a huge thing it was to recognize how much Jesus did. His power, his sovereignty, his control. The Sea of Galilee, uh, David's got a map, I want to show it to you. You know, it's right in the northern part of Israel. And it's about 15, 20 miles long and it's about 10 miles wide. The apostles were sailing from the east side of the shore to Capernaum. And you can see this would be the route that they, this actually kind of in reverse of what they would do. And they came and they would go, they were going to Capernaum. And so you can see that, that this is 
uh, open stretch of water here. They were sailing across about seven or eight miles of water. And they got right out in the middle. Now, the Sea of Galilee is about uh, 700 feet below sea level. Uh, so the mountains around it are about 2,000 feet high. And what happens is the wind comes in over those mountains and rushes down to the Sea of Galilee. And it creates a pretty stormy condition quickly. So water can turn rough in a matter of a few minutes when the wind rolls off those mountains. And so the Bible tells us, listen carefully, it says that they got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not come to them. So it became dark. I don't know if you've ever, and I know you've been outside in the dark, but I've always felt like darkness changes everything. I mean, land can be real familiar, but at night, it's, it, it doesn't look familiar at all. On the ocean, if you've not been on the ocean a lot, darkness can be very scary. And not only was there darkness, but these guys got into a storm. Now, they were experienced fishermen. Seven of them, at least, were men that were accustomed to the sea. So they knew about this. For them to be terrified, as Matthew said they would be, then this must have been quite a storm. Because they were accustomed to the ocean. Um, actually, there were probably three to four miracles that happened here. John MacArthur points out, I only saw two of them if you just read it carefully. But but listen to it. Jesus walked on the water. That's one. If you read Matthew's account, Peter walked also on the water, if only briefly. But he did walk. Uh, when Jesus got in the boat in Matthew and Mark, the wind stopped. In John's account, when Jesus got into the boat, they reached the shore. And so four miracles in one account. Three to four miles into the storm. Listen to what John said had happened. When he came near the boat, they were frightened. You know, that's a, uh, that seemed a little strange to me, but I want you to picture this. If you have, uh, if you ever have grasped this scene, go into our foyer here. There's a beautiful print that Joanne and Leroy have put in the church in memory of their son. I, I cannot stop, walk by that print and not stop and look at it. And you get a picture for what that was like. You know, here you are in a stormy sea at night. And all of a sudden, these men are battling the waves. They, they're doing all they can to keep the boat afloat. They're fighting this wind and the sea. And they look out and here comes Jesus walking on the water toward them. The scholars have said that Jesus probably, since they weren't moving very fast, he probably came very quickly toward them. The other gospel said that they thought he was a ghost. They were terrified to see that. I mean, they were kind of familiar with the ocean, but here's Jesus walking on the water. It was terrifying to them. He, he walked right up to them. He spoke to them. Uh, amazingly, they were willing to take him on board, says John. And at once they were on the shore where they were headed. And you say, well, what is this all about? But this miracle showed that Jesus not only went after his disciples and was with them in the storm, right in the center of it, but he had control over all these things. He spoke and the wind responded. He spoke and they were on the shore. He spoke and everything was calm. That's a great lesson for them to learn. The great preacher 
Clarence McCartney wrote about this in one of his sermons. He said, in the storm, Peter no doubt took command. You can see him holding a tiller with his strong arm, his beard covered with sea foam as he commands the disciples. Where all was calm a little while ago, now it is all tumult and confusion. The tempest rages. The ship is tossed like a cork up and down in the waves. The white foam of the great waves gleaming in the black darkness like the teeth of a monster. That is the situation of a storm out of control. So there are three lessons we learn in the storm. I want to look at them quickly. The first one, God is always working and he is always sovereign. God is always working. He is always sovereign. Now, I can't go to the Bible and tell you everything in the Bible the Bible says about God's sovereignty. And, and, and you know, church, what I want you to understand, and one of, one of the lessons, this is not a lesson that the disciples uh, just for them or just for us today. This, this is a lesson I want you to take to heart. I want, I want you to grasp it and begin to wrap your mind and your heart around this. Because once we understand these things, when we go through the storm, then, then we do a lot better. Then we start learning the things that God wants us to learn in the storm. God is always sovereign. Sovereign means that God is in control. There's not anything that God's not in control of. I mean, the book of John begins with saying that in the beginning, the word was God and the word was God and the word was with God. And through him, everything was created. Not one thing that was created, he didn't create. That Christ was present at creation and created everything. So he's the creator of everything. He created it all. He's sovereign over it. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to learn. I hear people all the time talking about God's sovereignty. Well, you know, did God allow this to happen? Did, could, could God have stopped this? I mean, I, I mean, we were talking in our Sunday school class today about sovereignty. And, and somebody said, one of the problems is, is that people say, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he stop things? Why does he allow the things to go on? And God gave us our minds. We're created in the image of God. And we have the choice. We can obey or disobey. We can do whatever we wish. God has given us great freedom. That's, that's the problem with you guys as you face your whole life. You have unlimited freedom, but unlimited consequences for your freedom. God will, God will let you make whatever decision you make. God is sovereign over it all. Job, Job learned that lesson. If you want to learn about God's sovereignty, go to Job. I, I love Job and, and I just love the, the lessons in there. Write these down, write these chapters down, go back and read them. You know, Job had been talking with God, like, how can you do this stuff to me? Why, why would you treat me the way you did? Why are you like you are? And, and then God begins this sermon to Job and he says to him things like God's thunder thunders wondrously with his voice. He does things that we cannot comprehend. And then he writes over in verse 37, he says, do you know how God directs his clouds or makes their lightning flash? Do you understand how the clouds float these wonderful works? Where were you when I established the earth? Think about that. God's in control. Where, where were you and I when God created everything? Have you ever in your life, God asked Job, commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place? God's sovereign. He's in control. He's got it. Did God know the storm was coming? Absolutely knew the storm. Did Jesus know that when he sent his disciples in there, did he, did he know? Of course he knew. He sent them into the storm. The book of Mark says that he pushed them off. 
He knew where they were going. They thought they were crossing the, the ocean. They said, we've done this a thousand times. We'll see you on the other side, boss. He said, oh yeah, you will. <laughs> but you got a trip in between. He knew exactly what was going on. God's sovereign. There's no surprises to God. He's sovereign. So what's God doing? He's teaching. He's correcting. He's drawing us closer to him. He's teaching those disciples lessons they would have to have. Because someday they would be in a position of ministry that they would have to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord. And you know, I think they got it. They eventually got it. Every one of them died as martyrs except John. You wouldn't die for a martyr. You wouldn't die as a martyr for somebody that you didn't believe was the God of the universe with you. So I want you to remember God's always working. It's always sovereign. Number two, God allows the storms in our life. Church, got to hear that. God allows storms into our life. I, I wish it weren't so, but it's so. And, and God does that to his disciples. He does that to his closest followers, to the people that love him and who care for him. He allows the storms into our life. Sometimes we have storms because of our sin. I don't know if you ever had a storm because of your sin. Well, I've had a couple. They're no fun. They're things, uh, you know, as my mom and dad used to say, uh, you make your bed and you have to sleep in it. That's a, that's a storm because of your sin. Um, it can be a lifelong consequence. It can be a consequence that lasts a few days. It might be something that keeps you awake a few nights. But you can be in a storm because of your sin. What does God want you to do? Is he just doing that to jerk you around? No, he, he, he sends you into the storm because of your sin to let you feel the consequences for your sin. Let you see what disobedience is like. You know, and if, and if you correct it and you say, Lord, I, I gotta fix this in my life, gotta correct this, I've gotta stop this, then, then God loves you and He restores you and, 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 and He forgives you. But you know, if you just get over the storm and you say, I got out of this one, but I'm gonna keep doing it, I like what I do, or it's kind of fun, I know it's a problem, but I'm gonna keep doing it, I think I'm smart enough to get by with this, then God will allow it to bubble up again. It's like a, it's like a flaw, a character flaw. It runs across your life. And as long as you allow it to persist, God allows it to bubble to the top. And one day it brings you down. And God's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to redeem you. He's trying to say, listen, brother, this is important. You gotta fix it. He sends you right into the storms to make you better. But I want to tell you, God also puts you in the storm like he did these disciples to teach you eternal things. Sometimes you're in the storm and you're absolutely in the will of God. Now that's not, that's not easy to understand. The apostle Paul was like that. He, he suffered for the gospel. I mean, he gave up everything. Everywhere he went, people hated him. He'd preach a message of love and forgiveness and people thought he was nuts and they tried to kill him and he was thrown out and beaten and he, and he goes through in second Corinthians and he names all the places that he nearly died because of the gospel. And so what he learned is he learned that he'd trust God. He kept going back, didn't he? He, God made him stronger. He equipped him. And finally, at the end, Paul said, listen, you can take my life if you want, but the message is bigger than I am. He learned the lesson of the storm. He got stronger all the time. So you might be right in the will of God. There's a lot of Christians today and you, and they feel like, you know, 
Lord, I ought to, ought to be doing better because we listen to those guys at three o'clock in the morning. We think if we're faithful and if we have a lot of faith, God's going to make us rich and he's going to make us healthy. But that's not what God promises. He's going to make us more like Christ. And Christ died on a cross. Jesus said, you want to follow me? You got to take a cross up. That's what being like Jesus is. And so God sends us into the storm. I, you know, I wish, I wish being a pastor of a church was easy. Everybody, everybody always thinks, I mean, I, I used to think years ago, that's a great job. I mean, those guys got it made. I mean, everybody likes what they do. They get to preach. They get to teach. I mean, it's a great work. They don't, they don't realize all the things that come up and all the difficulties. I mean, I don't really have a lot of troubles, but I see my brothers and serving in ministry around me and some of them have a terrible time. They're under assault all the time. And, and God, what, what I found in ministry is that God brings up crises and he brings up difficulties and he brings up crises of faith and he brings up conflicts. And every one of them we get to learn again and again and again that God is sovereign. That he's in control, that he's powerful, that he loves us. That even in the midst of all the things that go on around us, God's still faithful. That's, that's God's sovereignty. That's so important. Listen, listen to Mark chapter six. I said this. Jesus sent him into the storm. He, Mark six forty five says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Darkness set in. Darkness always makes a storm worse. It can try, it, it combines with the wind and the waves and, and it seems out of control. So when you're in a storm, things are out of control. And that's why because you're there because of your own doing or there because of God's doing. Sometimes things just pile up. When something happens, you lose your job, there's financial trouble, there's marriage, there's all kinds of trouble. I mean, the storms can be multifaceted. Let me tell you, for these disciples, that was a life and death deal. They probably didn't know they were going to get out of that thing alive. That's what a storm's like. And you say, well, Jim, they were just crossing the ocean. Yeah, have you ever crossed the ocean in a storm? That's not a good place to be. Even in a little place like the Sea of Galilee, not a good place to be. The third thing I want you to see is that God teaches us lessons in a storm. You know what? I always wonder, why does God let the storm last so long? I mean, I got it. I got it. Maybe a couple days. But what about storms that last a month? What about, what about when you lose somebody you love and the storm lasts for years? What about that storm? What about when the foundation of your life is just ripped out? And so people then say, I, I wonder what they did to deserve that. <laughs> That's our concept. That if you're doing a good job, God, God blesses you and you have a trouble-free life. And then if you're not so faithful and not such a good life, then God punish you. But that's, that's not what the Bible has to teach. I'm going to share a passage of scripture with you. I don't know if you write in your Bible or not. I'm a writer in my Bible. I have a brand new Bible. I got my other one was just wearing out. Pages were coming apart. I got me a new Bible. So I got to start all over again. You know what I'm going to do with my Bible? I'm going to, I given my kids. It's about the third iteration I've had preaching. I gave my first one that I used to my son and the one that I just finished with, I give to my daughter and I don't know who gets this one, but, um, we'll see. They probably, I don't know. I don't know if anybody wants it, but they'll see all the things I wrote in my Bible. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. 
chapter 2. I want you to, if you write in your Bible, you should write in your Bible. You should underline these verses. I'm going to talk to you about it. I wrote it up on the board there. But if you have a Bible, I want you to, I want you to read it with me. I want you to listen to this. Now, this is Paul telling us about the benefits of salvation. He says, we also have obtained access through him by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul says that we have access because of our faith into grace. Because of our faith has brought us into God's grace. We are in grace. If you, if you follow our study in the book of Revelation, you'll be at the throne room of grace. You're in the presence of God because of your faith. That's what it did. That's how powerful it is. But listen to number three, verse three. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Now, how crazy is that? The word rejoice up in uh, verse two and the word rejoice in verse three are the same Greek word. And you know what they mean? They mean rejoice. They mean absolute joy. So Paul says we can have absolute joy because we have access to God and we can have, listen church, absolute joy because of our afflictions. Now that's, that's wild. We rejoice in our afflictions because, listen, we know, we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character Produces hope. That's why affliction is good. Students, that's why you can only learn these lessons in afflictions. You can only have hope. You can only know what real hope is through an affliction. Now, now let me, let me go through this with you. I want to be careful with it. Affliction means, in case you don't know, sufferings, pressures, stresses, So these afflictions, we are told to rejoice in them. Our afflictions bring endurance. Jason, I guess it's like your coach. You recognize if I work out, if I work out and lift weights, my arms get stronger. That's producing endurance in my arms. They get stronger. They're resistance. Paul is saying that affliction gives you spiritual endurance. And endurance in this way... Is to abide or stay under pressure. It gives you the ability to stay under pressure. That's what it is. Endurance. Endurance is a good thing. You got to have it. If if I'm running, I used to run a lot. You probably don't believe that. It's true. Just accept it. <laughs> it happens. You'll get old too. And you get endurance. The longer you run, the more you can run. Paul is saying the more and more affliction you have, the more affliction you can endure. You, you get tough. And, and you're not just, you're, you're not just building up muscles. Paul said this isn't just a, a, a physical exercise. This is something God's doing. So he builds up endurance. Literally to stay under pressure. And then he says that our endurance produces proven character. Proven character. This word is used to refine metals. It's like God burns away everything in your character except what is necessary to endure affliction. Sounds to me like you're getting tough. That you're ready for a spiritual battle. It sounds to me like God can really use you in a situation like that. Because he has made proven character. And your proven character, listen, produces hope. Hope. 
That's what affliction does for you. Endurance, proven character, hope. Now why, now why would somebody get up and preach that your faith will keep you from having trouble? When the Bible doesn't say that. Why would they say that God doesn't desire for you to have anything but wealth and health and prosperity when there's nothing in the Bible? The Bible says that what you do is when you have affliction, you gain endurance. And when you have endurance, you gain proven character. And when you have proven character, you have hope in God. In other words, you can never really know what it's like to hope in God, to have hope in God without affliction. That's the only way you can learn that. Now, I don't even have time to go to James chapter 1 and go through that verse. But I will tell you, you ought to underline that one too. James chapter 1 verse 2, you ought to go there in your Bible and read that. And Paul Paul says again the endurance thing, but then he talks about maturity and character. But I want you to, I want you to hear that. I want you to listen to what this is. So, so Jesus on that storm, he was teaching his disciples that what you do... In the middle of this storm, he's not there. He's away from them that they are forced to recognize that Jesus controls the storm. You and I in the middle of an affliction, things get so bad, they get so desperate that we work through all of our options. We have, and we are forced to recognize that Jesus is our only solution. And then he says, great, you are exactly where I can teach you now. That's how important it is. So you got to do that. Affliction is necessary. It's a part of life. And listen, our hope in verse 5 isn't centered on ourselves. It's centered on God. And God does not disappoint us. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So the believer through all of this time, we are not gaining these things on our own. We're not just saying I'm getting a calloused old guy because I've been through a lot of stuff. But what we're saying is that God is pouring his love into my heart through his spirit. And I am gaining a Christ-like spirit in the middle of affliction. There's nothing that will do that other than affliction. And Jesus sent his disciples into the storm because he knew there's those things they got to learn only there. And they're going to teach them in a little storm that's going to last. But later they would go through storms that would last years. They would go through years of persecution. They would go through years of being threatened with their lives. They would go through years of being told to stop to preach the gospel. And they kept preaching the gospel and they kept going with it. And, and one by one they would all be executed Until finally, there was only the Apostle John who wrote this left. And at the end of his life, John, John would write and give us the great book of Revelation. And all this gospel, because God had poured into his life all those years. Through all of that difficulty. You would think John would be a bitter, angry old man. Oh no, John wrote about love. He wrote about the character of God. He wrote about the forgiveness of God. He understood God's forgiveness better than any writer in the New Testament. A lifetime of affliction did that for him. So God's hope is not built on our effort, but on his promise. Don't don't think God's hope is not built on your effort, but on God's promise. Please hear that. God's hope is not built on your effort, but on his promise to you. You have got to know what's in his promise. You and I have to know this book. This book is essential to us. You and I should all be diligent readers of this book, not to preach or teach or to take a test, but to know the character of God, to know the promise of God.
You got to know it. In this, in this, uh, in, in this story, they were terrified. The Bible says, and I'm about to finish. It says that Jesus came to them in the fourth watch. Matthew said that. Do you know when that is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m.? I'll tell you, I do not want to be up between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. If I am up then, something's wrong. And when I used to have to work at night and used to have to do th- stuff, uh, I, I really dislike that time of night. Because everything is worse. I mean, the food tastes worse. The Everything is worse. I'm not a night person, Colby. I couldn't work at night. I've worked a lot of nights. I don't like doing it. But during the 3, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., they were exhausted. They were worn down. They were at the limit. And what happens? Jesus shows up across the water. Comes into their boat. Gets in the boat with them. And, and so you have a you have an assurance and I have an assurance that when Christ, when things are at the worst, when we've learned our lesson, when God deems time, then we see his presence. We feel his hope. We have his encouragement. We know he's with us. And what did Jesus say to him? It's I don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's, listen, you ought to write that down in your Bible. In the middle of a storm, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus said that. He promised that. He said over in, in John chapter 7 to, uh, 17, he says, I have told you these things, all of that teaching, all of these things, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've overcome the world. That's, that's what the storm is about. What did they learn in the storm? They learned... That Jesus is amazing. Here's what Luke said they learned. They were fearful and amazed asking one another. Who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. A lesson for eternity. That's what God does. He teaches us lessons in the storm. And, and, and let, me, let me close with this. I don't want you to get out of here and think. Oh this is all just mind over matter. This is all just a matter of me, me, uh, you know, getting tough and, and getting strong and, and getting you. No, it's not that. This is about allowing the word and the promise of God to flow over your life in the middle of its distress and affliction and difficulty in the middle of a storm. And that as it does that, you recognize God's hope that he has provided for you. That's what, that's what it is. And then you are stronger. When you finish the storm, You're worn down by life. You may have lost someone you love. You may have lost something that you valued. But you have recognized something about God that you never learned. Never knew. The other thing that we learn is that without Christ, you are alone in the storm. And so if you don't know Christ, you got to know him. You you got to say, Lord, I I need that in my life. I need need to have that assurance. And, And you know what? He offers it. It's out of grace and mercy. Affliction, endurance, proven character, and hope in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We need it. Apply it to our hearts. Use it as you see fit. Strengthen us. Instruct us. Inspire us. But Lord, draw us close to you. And and in this time, I just pray that we'll see you. That you love us and care for us. That you seek after us in all that we do. Lord, Thank you for loving us in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.